0: and welcome to midriff the podcast about gender music and music gear i'm your host hillary jones okay no major musical updates for me this week other than that i'm having my buddy nick holcomb of holcomb guitars put a bigsby on my new fender lead 2 player which i'm very much looking forward to trying out and it's part of my weird extended guitar pickup midlife crisis where apparently i don't only like humbuckers who knew i didn't know uh also i'm Kind of considering getting a jazzmaster at some point. People love them; they're cool. I, for some reason, have never had one because they don't have humbuckers. So, like, with you know, I'm just trying to figure out what I need. Do I need a jazzmaster in my life? I'm like, maybe I'll get a cheap one, like a GNL Doheny tribute or something. So, because it's hard to get in on a jazzmaster at a reasonable price, right? So, they also have those like cool, like the maple. Uh, neck with the black block inlays, which is like my favorite thing, like a Getty Lee bass. Just love them. We'll see. We'll see what happens. If you have a recommendation for like a little higher end than a Squire, but like not quite a thousand dollars for a Jazzmaster of some type, let me know. <laughs> I'm also looking at like a 112 amp combo of some sort, maybe like a Music Man RD60 or something, 65. I'm not sure what it is. Since like the only amp that I have at my home is my very beloved 70s Fender Champ. That was my dad's, and I've been playing it since I was 14. I really do love it. It's fabulous, but the eight-inch speaker has some, like, limitations to it, and it would be nice to have another option at home. There you go. Those are the things on my list. Uh, I'm gonna sell some stuff, and uh, maybe we'll move forward with them once I, you know, sell them. I don't know. We'll see what happens. All right, anyway, let's get to it. I want to start off by thanking Midriff's sponsors. First, Earthquaker Devices. This week, Earthquaker posted a video of Ariana Paul from Halsey playing their new pedal, Astral Destiny. And I don't know much about Halsey, but she is shredding in this video. And, you know, normally my Earthquaker Devices YouTube quote of the week is funny, but this is very serious from YouTuber Easy Death, who says, quote, as the father of a 13-year-old girl getting into guitar and pedals, I really appreciate EQD showcasing all these badass female players. More please and thank you, unquote. That is the real stuff right there. So check out the Astral Destiny or any of their other rad pedals at EarthquakerDevices.com. Please and thank you. All right. Thanks once again to Studio 121. Skylar can help you with all of your audio needs at a super reasonable price with a quick turnaround. Editing, production, recording, jingles, podcast music. Literally, whatever you need. She can help you do it. You can find Studio121 on Instagram at Official Studio121. And last but not least, fabulous new sponsor, Electro Foods Unlimited. Electro Foods are super rad pedal builders based out of Philadelphia. Matt and Carl are just so kind. Very very kind people. I have their nepenthes petal and it's kind of a rodent variety, if you will. And I love it so so much. It is you know just has a ton of options to make it super flexible and fun and obviously crushing. I, <laughs> but it can also it can also get a little dirty, just like a little overdrivey. It's great. You know I have a nepenthes specific video on on Instagram and is, is it nepenthes? I actually. I feel like that's how you pronounce it. Anyway, but I used it on and off throughout January during uh, one riff a day as well. So I've got a, If you want to see what it sounds like, I've got a lot of videos and obviously they have some on their website and there's some on the general Internet. So I also recently acquired their Pig Pile, which is a harmonic percolator. And right when I had just gotten my lead two is when I got it. And so I played it through that a bunch, which was rad. But I also tried it on bass recently for the first time. And it is sick. It's got like kind of the perfect amount of like thickness, rawness, bite, and it is just really, really great. So check them out at electrofoods.space. Check it out. These sponsors support the podcast and I hope you support them too. You can find links in the show notes to sponsors, to Midriff's Instagram, Facebook pages, website, everything else you need as well. Stick around after the interview and I will get into a little bit of depth around things that you can do as a like small shop or a small luthier or something like that if you want to make change and you're like, what do I do? I am but one person. Well, I have seven ideas for you. So stick around afterwards and uh, have a listen for that. All right. So my guest today is Rochelle Rosencrantz, who is a luthier under the name Atelier Rosenkrantz. Rosencrantz. Uh, professor at the Rhode Island School of Design, a musician in her her own right. And I have known her for years, but I think much of the world came to know her when she was featured on Anthony Bourdain's show Raw Craft a number of years back. She used to live across the street from, you know, what was at the time, the Riot or Girls Rock Rhode Island office. And one day I was sitting in, in, in the like front area, looking out the window, and I just saw, you know, down the street, I'm like, is that Anthony Bourdain walking down this very residential street with a film crew? Turns out it was. And <laughs> I didn't find out until much later that that is what was going on. So uh, anyway, uh, Rochelle is an amazing crafts person and an industrial designer by training. So she brings this like really unique sort of out of the box perspective to building. And if you visit her Instagram, you'll see this very clearly demonstrated with her recent instruments made of like sustainable materials such as honeycomb, mycelium mushrooms, kombucha leather, in addition to some like obviously more traditional and beautiful work as well. So she's collaborated also with Kaki King on uh, Passerelle, which is sort of a item made of brass, which acts as like a false bridge and allows you to do some really wild and new cool things on guitar as well. So anyway, enough from me, let's hear from Rochelle. Here is our conversation. <laughs>
1: Michelle, welcome to Midriff. So nice to see you again. It's been a while.
0: I know. It's been a minute. Uh, we we live so close, but yet we are only connecting via this, the internet right now.
1: I know. You're just on the other side of the park.
0: <laughs> it's so close. Uh, uh, for folks who are listening, we both live in, um, I don't know, probably like two miles away yeah. from each other, a mile, something like that. So... It's close, it's close. Our hearts are there, but COVID is keeping us apart. So, can you introduce yourself for folks who might not know you? Your name, your pronouns, a little bit about yourself and your background with music. All right, my name
1: is Rochelle Rosenkranz. Um, that's not a Rhode Island accent you hear. Uh, I'm not from here. Uh, I'm from uh, Montfermeil, which is right. You're from you're from Woonsocket, right? <laughs> you know, if I stay, here, yeah, if I mix my French accent with my Rhode Island accent, I can pretend yeah. I'm from Woonsocket. The locals will understand <laughs> the joke. <laughs> Yes,
0: that's a, that's a very niche joke. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um,
1: so I'm from Montfermeil, which is right outside of Paris. And uh, so uh, mostly I like, grew up there, studied in Paris, and uh, where I learned music in the first place classical guitar with Jacques Gablou when I was eight. Uh, then switched to upright bass when I was 17 with Mathieu Dal. And then school was too busy and I stopped playing music. And then mm-hmm. a decade later, once here in Providence, I was missing playing music and started to play it again. And I, I still do till now. Now, once you have it, it's hard to give it up. <laughs>
0: oh, and I forgot. I go by
1: uh, She, Her, Hers.
0: You have like a fairly extensive background with regard to like, are, th- are those the main instruments that you play? Uh,
1: those are the main do ones. You play others? I've been yeah. uh, playing Buzuki a bunch this year since the pandemic it's Mm. been around I was dabbling with it Uh, but uh, yeah taking a lunch break on the deck or in the yard and just uh, try to explore that instrument a bit more it's been good it's a different tuning it rewires my brain and uh, it just sounds very transportive by default so it's it's nice to just escape that way by just uh, totally some some instrument transports
0: No, that's an interesting to think about too, though, uh, to think about like the ways that like different instruments can sort of like, I think some of them like lead you to be more introspective and some of them take you somewhere else. So it's
1: kind of interesting to think about that. Yeah. And how we respond to one instrument more than another. And that varies from everyone and from person to person. But uh, I think there's something also very universal about you know instruments that tend to be in the voice human range tend to like Mm. like the cello there's something like really speaks to everyone so there yeah as much as there are some preference individually there's I think some universal common denominator that um, is very true as well
0: yeah it's funny my four-year-old I don't know where this even came up but somewhere we were listening to something and like someone was playing a harpsichord and he's like that's scary and I was like (laughs) <laughs> How do you know that? Like, yeah. <laughs> is it like, I don't know, uh, I what what makes something scary to someone like, I guess, in some sort of visceral way? Not that he hasn't absorbed any culture with his harpsichord, but yeah. that's fairly specific. Yeah, it's very
1: specific. Like When we hear theremin, we think about 1950s sci-fi TV shows. Right. But for the ones who heard it in the first time before it was in that context, did they associate this kind of ethereal... Uh, spooky notion. I'm not sure, but maybe emotionally there's something that, yeah, it, it's within the sound itself.
0: hmm hmm I think, so this sort of brings me to a related things. I feel like the first time I met you, I knew you as a DJ.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, that was <laughs> another life.
0: <laughs> yes. Can you talk about that? Because like, how, what was, I, I feel like that's like a whole other situation that you are absolutely not, it's like a different,
1: different world. I have to say, this is actually electronic music brought me back to acoustic music that brought me directly to my current career as a guitar builder. So mm-hmm. in some ways, uh, using my chisels, shaving wood little by little for hours every day is because of DJing. <laughs> I
0: love this. Okay, let's let's it, it hear about it. It like a
1: big jump, but music is music. And if it's interlocked, it's interlocked. Uh, so I haven't played music uh, for a good 10 years because... School was too busy. And then uh, I was already thinking about building instruments back when I was a student. I felt very divided between uh, being a sculpture artist or being a professional musician. And I was walking by every day on my way to school by the Atelier Maurice Dupont. They make gypsy jazz guitars, which were mm-hmm. also very popular again in the 90s when I was in school. So, you know, you could see a lot of guitars in progress every day while waiting for the bus. Like, oh, this combines my two passions. (laughs) So I did ask for an apprenticeship or maybe an internship. And they pretty much said, no, you're too old. I was 21 at the time. (laughs) Like, what? I say, okay, why somebody at 21 in a good art school is going to steal the spot of a 14-year-old that might not make it to high school? We're going to give that kid the priority. Explained that way, I said, oh, okay, that, that makes sense. <laughs> so we <laughs> <All laughs> right. corresponded when like school became busy. And so I I kind of gave up on the idea. And uh, so my ex-husband is a DJ and I was DJing with him a lot at home just for fun. Kitchen, dance off, you know, lots of uh, house music, especially like French touch. And also Chicago style was also uh, a big one in the house. It's just like feel good, happy Sunday morning, you know. And so we had a good like turntable set, you know, texting te- techniques twelve nineteen, like, you know, mm-hmm. build a good muscle memory. And uh, that was before social media. That was before, you know, music was for free whenever it was an algorithm. So we had a huge fun. So, but then friends of ours were interested in actually doing that. And then <laughs> from Mondays to Mondays, we became the Union Street Collective because mm. num- there for two reasons. Number one, it was on Union Street. So it made sense. That makes sense. But as, as we started playing, we realized that actually we were paid less than guys. And so we mm. became like the Union Street, like Union in a way that we want to make sure that uh, actually we have a fair pay. So... It happened actually that one venue I won't name it. I don't want to get anybody mad because I loved actually <laughs> the staff there. But one person, like after a Saturday night that was packed, same amount of people and hours as the week before, where I was like, ah, that's not actually what so and so got last week. I say, how do you know? I say, well, it's my husband, so I know. <laughs> like, Whoops. Okay. So she <laughs> that like, yeah. Gotcha. So then, uh... then it became even more meaningful. Because now it was not just the location of where we met and made music; it was actually suddenly like, like yeah, also making sure that we get what we deserve. That DJing was not actually like making electronic music itself. You play, you curate mm-hmm. other people's music, you read the crowd, and you carry the energy, which uh, was fun. But that brought me to missing making music, and that's where I think I would not have necessarily been a musician immediately if like get back on the horse if not because of providence providence is an amazing amazing place for musicians everybody's game uh everybody is such a good uh spirit and uh i, I have to say like it's it was it's the best place to start music and because the town is not huge you actually have mm-hmm. so much overlap between the noise noise music, the folk music, even the new classical music, we have a chance of a bigger overlap between different genres than we would have had in a bigger city. And uh, I had a neighbor at the time that uh, wanted to uh, have some help for a translation on a poem that was trying to turn into a song. Uh, So his name is Matt Everett. He became uh, then a bandmate for uh, many years. And so I helped him out. I was singing along, say, hey, you can sing. Say, eh, not really. Say, well, you know what? My friend Joe Auger runs an open mic. Do you want to give it a shot just for kicks? And you know what? I had the best fun. And I did one and I did two. And within like six months, we had a duo. And then it was a trio. And then we were four. And then and then uh, in parallel, I started to join the three other bands. And basically, I had rehearsal, about three rehearsals a week for many years. Uh, So how did this then lead to you building guitars? So, you know, um, playing with instruments pretty much every day and having rehearsals every week. Somebody needs to like adjust a nut or the bridge is Mm. going off or this and that. So I know how to roll up my sleeves uh, and uh, started to do it. Started to think about daydreaming about building instruments again. This time around, I found an an actual old school apprenticeship that uh, worked out with Daniel Collins. That class was on weekends at first, then weekends and evenings. And within six months, I was there every afternoon. I started to segue to quit my job to be from full-time to part-time in my industrial design day job I had and to go from one discipline to the other. You know what? People do it. Why not me?
0: Uh, that mm-hmm. was in North
1: Kingstown, so in South County of Rhode Island. If for people don't know that, it's closer to the Connecticut border. And um, and that was it. And I decided to quit my job. I could have waited a bit longer. That would have been smarter because the transition actually financially was a bit tougher. <laughs> I got a bit right. too cocky. Um, <laughs> and, but, you know, once you quit your job, you put your savings in the equipment and this is it. I'm invested. Mm-hmm. I'm investing in myself, doing this because banks were not believing in me. My husband at the time was not believing in me. My family thought I was crazy. My friends were <laughs> supportive, but kind of like, uh, <laughs> "How are you gonna pay rent?" So right. basically, I just uh, took my last few savings, bought the equipment I needed, and that was the story. Now it's my story. This is it. I have nothing to lose. Literally at that point, I had nothing to lose, so might as well. Mm-hmm. And I was sharing. So the commute to South started to be a bit too much. And I started to share studio closer in Pawtucket with Otto D'Ambrosio. Uh, that mm-hmm. was uh, for like a, a year. That was pretty short-lived, but that was great. Because I could see really somebody that's been doing this for a decade. He's been doing this since right. he's 13 at Mandolin Brothers. He lives- Whoa, I did not realize oh, yeah. that. It's the real deal. He lives and breathes luthery, like... It's yeah. it's ingrained in his pores. And, and he's uh, now at Eastman, right? Yes. Just mm-hmm. uh, the proximity, you get the right rhythm. You understand, also, you learn so much just by even watching. But like that's when he needed to uh, move west. Um, so mm-hmm. that was short-lived. But what was very nice and helpful was he was not moving all his equipment. And mm-hmm. he knew I was starting. So that was a perfect, uh, you know, the relay of the baton. So immediately <laughs> I was able to have my bandsaw. Uh, I was able to have my drill press. I was able to, uh, basically it made it possible for me to be independent.
0: Right. Yeah. And I mean, you know, there's a lot of tools involved in that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's not nothing. That's, <laughs> I mean, if I can see behind you, from, you were, the listeners can't see, but there, you have a, a lot of tools going on back yeah, there.
1: But another thing is that for those who might listen that are interested in this career. Yeah. Number one, when you buy the tools, you have them forever. You just need to learn how Mm -hmm. to sharpen them, which is easy. Mm -hmm. So once you make that investment, you don't have to do it again. Number two, 80% of what you do is handmade, not machine-made. So you can do a lot with just hand tools, which are more affordable.
0: Right. So that's with true. a
1: set of two, like ten good tools, you can do so much. Remember, the best violin till this day was just made with a, a chisel and a planer. There was no like table saws back then. Right. So I mean, let's not forget <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> that is very true. So, can you describe the the type of guitars that you build for folks?
1: So I started. I started with like, an and old, not, I know you train. don't only do guitars. I know I you do, do other most, things too. Mo- but. Yeah, mostly guitars. So. From having a training in classical guitars and starting to learn how to build classical guitars, I've been first doing those, but also being a designer and learning how to um, question the assumptions and actually break up Mm -hmm. from the blueprint because that's what we do as designers. And since also I teach that, I start to also look at guitars differently. Sustainability is pretty huge um, in my heart. Uh, it's, we all have to uh, face that all together, and our discipline doesn't escape also uh, this rule. And it's where can where can we be part of the solution more than the problem? We've seen the Amazonian right. forest burning last summer. We've seen also uh, all the redwoods in California burning this year. We've seen Australia. I mean, we can't just use exotic wood anymore and that's still the right. term used uh, in Luthery, but we shouldn't call them exotic they're just like, they're just precious rare i think like the word is also outdated i mean and it's not just also what we face is not so much that there are resources that are beautiful to know that are in close to extinct but the replenishing of them will take a long time but also uh depending of where you are in the world you might not have access to the good woods that uh, mm. are not endangered I've talked to luthiers in India that have amazing rosewood, but all the good rosewood is uh, taken for the furniture business first because India is such a huge exporter of furniture that they get oh, wow. actually the the second batch of the good rosewood. Huh. So the rosewood is there, but they don't have access really to the good stuff because they only need, maybe, like as an independent luthier, I would need only like 10, right. 10 sets. I won't need the amount of wood that a furniture manufacturer would need. Uh, in And I was talking to another luthier uh, in Honduras a couple months ago. They export so much ma- uh, mahogany in Honduras. They export so much um, mahogany to bigger companies such as Martin Gibson, that how much mm-hmm. do they have for themselves? right and and they don't have they don't grow. it's not an environment geo, uh, geologically that grows soft wood. So they have really good sides and back, but they have nothing for really the front. We realize how much there's also uh, things are not very fair depending of where you are located. And I, yeah, I mean I'm in New England right now. So that's actually wood wise. I have maple, I have walnuts. Uh, There are a couple of cedars. I can just do with what's local and be fine. But Mm -hmm. it's not true for everyone. So that got me really thinking about what, what is not wood that can be also tonal. That will not matter where you are. You can grow mycelium mushroom wherever. You can grow kombucha leather wherever. And those are tonal materials. Mm -hmm. It will take a month to grow a guitar made out of mycelium mushroom. How long it will take to cut a maple tree that will be large enough to actually make something out of it? A couple hundred years. Same for the kombucha leather to replace goat skin on banjos. Yeah, now it's like there's no animal cruelty uh, involved. So Mm -hmm. it's like, And this, it doesn't matter where you are. You can make it happen. So I think we're in a—it's the Wild West right now in Luthery and I find that very exciting.
0: I mean, it feels like the Wild West, but it also feels like you, in particular, are doing a lot of that work, like very more experimental work.
1: I think it has to—I blame it on a place called the Nature Lab at (laughs) Risding. So, for those who don't know, Uh um, neither the Nature Lab, neither Risding. The Rhode Island School of Design uh, has a library that's been around for 80 years. Edna Lawrence started it about maybe over 80 years ago. She got disowned by her family for being a lesbian, and she had a taxidermia collection. And that was her mission, is to make sure that there was a library of uh, art of, uh, of minerals and, and specimens that's Art students can study for drawing and more. And she got, the, she was like the squeaky wheel got the grease. She started to have a room in a corner to like develop things. And you know what? Till this day, it's the resource that, that's by far the most used from all the students. It goes from architecture students that will do microscopic uh, observation on structure of bones to come up with actually architectural solutions to textile students looking at the patterns and colors on butterfly wings that actually the color changes from not like pigments, but like from actually structural. You can get different colors from structure Mm. refraction. It's just amazing that we have that.
0: Yeah, it's beautiful, and I, I've been there a number of times, but I did not know the history of it. So,
1: thank you, Mad Lawrence. Look her up. Uh, in, yeah. uh, on the page, uh, her story is amazing. And um, I teach classes about uh, structure, so my, my the class I teach is so the class I teach is spatial dynamics. Uh, So basically, the students, when they arrive, they've drawn, they've painted before, but they've never necessarily built anything on their first year. And there's a lot of solutions from nature evolution. So if you think how uh, the wings of a bird evolved throughout millions of years and being like an optimal shape for a specific function, maybe we can learn from that. It's like millions Mm -hmm. of years of R&D. (laughs) And yes. <laughs> uh, But by teaching that class more and more, I started to actually question also in instruments like, well, what if I can learn something from a shoulder blade connection to design maybe a better resonator? Uh, I mean, mm. seriously, I started to completely like geek out on that. And because of the pandemic, you know, musicians don't have work, unfortunately, mm-hmm. until we find another answer to the paradigm. So if musicians are not working, well, I'm not working much either because my <laughs> client base are musicians. Right. But it gave me the freedom this year to try all that weird stuff I wanted to try for years. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's like, okay, what's the pain point and how can I make it actually an opportunity?
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, and it's wild to watch. Like if you listeners, if you want to check out Rochelle's Instagram, it, there's just like all the wild pictures of like... Your guitar made of mushroom. I mean, that's not what it's actually called, but, you know, (laughs) mushroom and like the kombucha leather and the honeycomb and like just so many wild and innovative ways to think about how a guitar can be
1: made and how it can produce sound. And the thing is, when you think of those materials, they are more affordable. So maybe a good guitar Mm -hmm. doesn't need to be expensive. And Mm -hmm. and so maybe it's... um, I, I'm hoping that there will be another genre of affordable instruments, you know, and suddenly like maybe for 50 bucks, you can grow your own guitar instead of waiting for Christmas to maybe finally have the budget to afford one.
0: Oh my God, that's so good. <laughs> yeah, I love that. The 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 accessibility piece of that was not one that I picked up on in um, some of the other pieces of this, but that makes a lot of sense. All right. So... Can you talk a little bit about? So you do. Uh, you you had a collaboration with Kaki King as well. Yes.
1: Uh, can you yeah. can you talk
0: a little bit about that? Oh
1: my god, that was such a a, a fun adventure. So Kaki has been playing guitar for everybody's pretty much familiar with Kaki King's work, and um, she approached me it was maybe five years ago. I went to her show. That was the the neck connects the body. Uh, wait, what's the name again? Oh. <sighs> I should the one with all the lights and stuff, yes. And yeah. um, my friend Beth Wexler was her VJ at the time, and Beth was a couple years prior my VJ when she was uh, occasionally oh. like when she was uh, in Providence uh, in digital mm-hmm. media, and so. I send a link to Beth. Will say, "Hey, looks this show like coming up uh, near town. If you're here, you should check it out. That's right up your alley." It's like, "Yeah, it, it's it's my show." <laughs> so I was like, Look at the brackets. That's like, and like and so. I'm like, so I'm just like, okay. <laughs> so I was like, "Oh, so you're in town?" It's like, "Yeah. Well, let's meet hmm. uh, after the show for like some food." And he was there, and we met, and. Uh, we immediately started to geek out on equipment and stuff. And a couple of weeks after, you said, hey, I have this idea that improving something I've been using for years is just like a stick on a 16 thread. And we've seen also um, Sonic use using a screwdriver. I've seen mm. people also uh, on videos in Denmark using just like some... Plumber tubing, and so there's a need for that type of playing that's uh, transformed pretty much a guitar, like into a, a harp, or like basically instead of six chord, you have twelve notes. It's not really about uh, using fingering uh, like fingers on the fingerboard. It's a whole different approach. Mm-hmm. And it's
0: almost like making it like a hammered
1: dulcimer yes. or something. So I so, said, okay, this is not very stable. Because it looks like everybody have a solution that's just a temporary one. What if we made something that's more stable, that Mm -hmm. actually can fit on both flat fingerboards or arch fingerboards, depending if it's a steel string or an nylon string? One that can also be solving the problem of uh, what kind of gauge of strings you're using. So designing grooves that have a, a... slants that are accommodating for different um, oscillation that the string can have when it travels under vibration. And mm-hmm. i like, reading really, like, it, looks very simple, but to mathematically figure out like the best common denominator, so it matches most guitars was, yeah, we went through three iterations of it. Yeah, it's, it, it's been a fun adventure. Now we're developing the bass version. Mm, cool and this one is more archy so we can actually bow the instrument. so we can yeah. turn your electric bass into a cello if you wanted to All right. so yeah the thing it was to um make it more optimal to mm-hmm. we saw too many people playing that way but not in a stable way and to make it actually optimal so people can compose on it instead of just making a noise on it
0: Right. Right. Yeah. It's one thing if you're like Sonic Youth, it's another thing if you're trying to, like, <laughs> you have something that's a little bit more structured, perhaps. <laughs> Not that Sonic Youth can't structure their oh, yeah. their noise, but, the, you know, no, I, you know what I'm saying. I know. <laughs> the noise is serious, you know. Yes. Oh, yeah. Not messing around. Yeah. So I guess I want to get into a little bit more around just some of your experiences around like gender and identities and gear Can you talk to that a little bit? Uh,
1: So I see, like uh, in the maybe lutherie world versus music world, uh, are divided into. I think I was very fortunate uh, in the lutherie world that I didn't run into as much machismo that I had actually in the design world in the industrial design Mm. world. I think because there's not that many of us, there's the community is actually tighter. And uh, everybody I got to learn from was uh, not holding back information. They were actually uh, feminists and uh, were like good allies. So that was great. Yeah. What uh, surprised me is I've always been told there's not enough women luthiers. There's not this. Like, it's very rare and whatnot. And and I always like, believed that because that's what I kept hearing. And mm-hmm. as far as representation, besides Linda Menzer, that's we don't see other women luthier, here mm-hmm. and, and uh, I, I love her and I applaud her for like really opening the doors for so many of us right but she's been doing that way for like way longer than uh, a lot of us and had to deal with a really like male-dominated industry more than we do now we still do but mm-hmm. like she really like <laughs> was a pioneer then one year, the International Luthier Showcase that happens every year um, in Woodstock, New York, where there's about 70 luthier only in the world that get to show their work. They, were, they had one year where they said, yeah, this year we're going to showcase women luthiers and whatnot. Uh, oh, we were five. I <laughs> <So>,
0: like, <laughs> thank, thank you for that for but,
1: uh, <laughs> yeah. but But then what's interesting is... The very fast, quick response to that, realizing, like, really, are we this few of us? Mm-hmm. And uh, Mammy Minch from Brooklyn Lutheran, who also writes mm-hmm. uh, a lot of uh, articles uh, in music magazines, decided to start to do a survey and um, a list of all the women Luthiers she could possibly find. She said, mm-hmm. okay, um, in a couple of months, I'm going to give a big list per region, per state, per country, to she shreds, listing like, yeah, there's that many women, actually. Mm-hmm. And she came up with a list of 50. Within two weeks on internet, we had over a list of 100. And oh, there's a luthier uh, from Canada, in um, Heidi Litke. She's in uh, Prince Edward Island, I believe. She mm-hmm. created a group on Facebook just for women luthiers. And were. I think it's more than a thousand or close to a thousand. Oh my God. Way more. Wow. We're way, we're a much bigger crowd that we've been told. Right. And it's like, <laughs> wait a minute. Hmm. And suddenly we see all those violin makers in, in, in London and guitar makers in Morocco that I never heard from. And, and it's suddenly the world is so much bigger and like some medieval instrument maker, uh, out of the, the middle of the countryside in Belgium. And mm-hmm. it's just, oh, my God. Like, it it took ourselves to discover ourselves. Right. <laughs> but also, it reveals how little we know about our own history. Yeah. Do you, uh,
0: I mean, I guess, I, I mean, it makes sense because, like, the, the people you hear about are the people who get featured in magazines or other media oftentimes like that's who you hear about and they're the ones that are lauded and so if people are featuring people who are like them because they're the ones who are uh, own the magazines or the media then they're less likely to be featured is that what you think is happening or i i don't know right on top of my head i am th- I'm just i'm riffing i'm riffing it could be anything so that's my yeah, immediate story that's why um, my, my brain immediately went
1: i think but i i think that magazine now i've been called off Enough on that kind of stuff that magazine makes more effort now than they used to to actually correct. Totally. That. So it's yes. glad, I'm glad to witness that actually there's a proactive change that I find is a bit yeah. too late, but still, like it's happening. I'd rather to yes. see it happen than not happen. So I think things are going in, in a good direction in that way, but yeah. also people are more empowered to also write their own papers, start their own podcasts, and start to All actually. Right. Showcase the voices that are not necessarily heard from bigger, larger media. Not that they are not interesting, but uh, but they. Let's say there. I'm glad to see that there are more venues for people to be able to express uh, things that need to be said. So that's uh, as far as uh, lutherie. Uh, as far as music, I've played in all women's band. I've played also with only guys. I've played with in. Uh, it's interesting like i didn't see much difference maybe because of the generation if i was playing with people that were a different generation that might have been different i saw mm. more of a difference when i was in electronic music like just like even checking i mean that sounds cliche you've heard that a gazillion times but mm-hmm. going to uh guitar center just to like see the specs on a turntable just to see how it behave or mixer yeah and get the comment oh you're shopping for your boyfriend no for me and like oh really and i actually knew more about the equipment that the vendor did i mean i i heard that kind of comment many times but i lived it so many times And like yeah yeah and maybe in the electronic world i saw that so with the girls were in charge of our own posters and how we represent ourselves but if the poster the booking was done by someone else how like the pictures that were selected were like more sexy or more this and that and like you uh-huh. know, it's like eh. <laughs> so it's funny to see how people want you to be perceived when you are not mm-hmm. in control of your own image. Have you noticed
0: a difference in the way that like gender and identities are treated in like more acoustic guitar or acoustic cl- or classical spaces versus like electric guitar
1: spaces? In, in Lou Okay, the bad representation, if you look at ads for electric guitars, it's still the Sexy Girl uh, in Bikini, still. Uh, you don't see it as much in the acoustic guitar world. Classical, I'm 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 not too, too sure. I'm not as yeah. involved with the classical
0: world. So you have this background in, like, industrial design, and you do some fairly experimental work, which we talked about. But I'm wondering if you think that because of your gender, you're able to sort of, like, you had fewer expectations around doing things the same way that maybe like cis men might have been expected to do. And so that maybe opened things up a little bit.
1: Uh I yes, I think so. I, I couple years ago I, I designed a series of ukulele. I don't have pictures online of that because they're just prototypes and actually need to find time to make them, but ukulele's that actually fits the female body. Okay. Ukuleles look like a guitar. Doesn't make sense when you think of it. The guitar (laughs) has a curve on the bottom, so it rests on your thigh. So when you sit, Mm -hmm. it fits your thigh. The ukulele doesn't rest on my thigh. It rests on my breast. So Mm -hmm. why has that shape? I don't have a thigh between my boobs. So why is the ukulele (laughs) looking like it should have a thigh right there? (laughs) <laughs> and and, no, but you start to wonder uh, about a lot of those things. I, I started to mm-hmm. make more parlor guitars also for that. I find a lot of mm-hmm. triple o, very uncomfortable. My arm is too high up. Yeah. Uh, I have a shorter torso than maybe uh, most men. And then, yeah, ergonomically, my arm is more tired on a, on a triple o than I would on a parlor. A parlor is actually... Mm-hmm even like my hands, I feel like on the left side can gallop better on right. a parlor because the scale length is more adequate for uh, the size of my hand. So I think like the choice of also instruments I have been making is also ergonomically what's, what's right. But it's, it's true. It could be just like ergonomically just as a start. But then I think also as far as like the finish, the color and Maybe because I grew up in a tailor shop and mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm not going to lie. I like to be a girly girl. Like I'm always in a sawdust in the woodshop. So I love to dress up and when I get the chance. Yeah. And yeah, so like to va va my guitars, maybe in a way that's like more jewelry-like. <laughs> I mean, uh-huh. the viola de gamba, it's totally like Punky Brewster meets Marie Antoinette. It's like <laughs> denim and twelve de jouy and... And I don't think if I didn't have that love for fashion, uh, like maybe I would not um, have done that. But on the other hand, like, is that, I don't know if it's really like being a woman that said that as much like for the last comment, because that could be true from uh, any of my male students. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think my, I would say it's mostly like ergonomically that Mm -hmm. I I think of that more because manufacturers are not thinking about it. I know St. Vincent uh, did a model guitar. I forgot with who, where she designed the- Ernie Ball. Yeah, uh, she designed an electric guitar that was also uh, more comfortable for uh, the woman body. And that was, I was very pleased to see that that dialogue with bigger manufacturers started. That was not on the map.
0: Right. Yeah, totally. All right. So you are teaching a class called Sonic Objects, which you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about what happens in
1: that class? Uh, sure. So this is a winter session class. It's six weeks. It's very deep dive. That's the only class they have. And during my regular class, that's uh, a 12-week class, I have my um, students invent an instrument or modify a version of an instrument to answer a problem that's not solved and to experiment with, um, you know, the the sound properties of materials and the shape and, and, and really at the end of the semester, we have a whole orchestra. And, mm-hmm. uh, if we have time to perform, we do, but they all have to function. And the guest crate always is trying every single instrument. Uh, oh, wow, I, I, It's fun. The, the version <laughs> of this, um, Winter session is different because due to the pandemic, they don't have access to the wood shop. They're all everywhere right. in the world working from a kitchen. And it's like, okay, let's still try to make instruments despite of the situation. Because the one that's 12 week long, they have the wood shop, They have, I mean, it's, yeah. And so, yeah, throwing in the fire again. One instrument a week in addition what? of... A larger, more complex instrument in parallel that takes the whole six weeks. So they can oh, wow. make like about like five, five, six, five instruments. Dang! And but to make sure they're not behind, they have to make music with instrument they just did this week. And it's a hot <laughs> potato where they pass along the right. file. So you can't work until the other one is done. So you're accountable, also. Oh my gosh! And uh, and it has to function because if it doesn't function, uh, you can't record it. So we're going to end up with a 12-track album that we're going to live stream on January 10th. Um, I have to set up the address on the internet and uh, and advertise that. So uh, if for the listeners who wants to see what's that about, uh, you can. And what's good about actually the restriction on not having access to the wood shop, they have to upcycle, to refurbish, to... I mean, I had a student this week... Uh, Bart, who made uh, an amazing guitar out of an old drawer, it was great. Oh wow! It, yeah, <laughs> um, a, a student that made uh, an instrument uh, with like old cans, but really measuring like some distortion on the cans so the water would actually uh, bend notes. And, and it didn't sound even close to the way it looked. It, it, it's it's really fun. It's yeah, it's like a marathon of just making instruments. That's wild. <laughs> yeah,
0: that sounds super fun. <laughs> that, thank you for sharing that. So what what advice would you give to somebody who wanted to get into becoming a luthier?
1: Okay, couple of advice. Number one, if you're curious and you, you've been thinking about it, just email a couple of luthiers near you. Mm-hmm. Ask them questions. Some might offer apprenticeship and it doesn't hurt to start a conversation. People will answer more than not. So it doesn't hurt to reach out. And uh, number two, just get a kit and start just like roll up your sleeve and figure it out just by... It might not be the perfect instrument, but it would be the first one that actually gives you the confidence to know if it's actually uh, enjoyable enough for you to keep moving. And I would say number three... I don't think I have a number three.
0: <laughs> That's that seems like the the first I two think, are a good start I for think sure. I start
1: with the number, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ask yeah. actual luthiers and start rolling up your sleeve for fun, uh, and then from those two, you can go to step three, which is actually getting equipment and and getting started, or or, or find a place that will share equipment,
0: Those hmm. exist.
1: People will share. I mean, Pre-pandemic.
0: Yes. Cool. Thank you. All right. So if you were speaking to folks in the music industry, could be, you know, other luthiers. It could be people who own a guitar shop. It could be venue owners, whoever, however you want to address it. And they came to you asking for advice, like, we want to make change in the music industry to make it better. What would you tell them? First, like, great
1: (laughs) <laughs> I, know, I, know, <laughs> seriously, I love to hear that That's there's no status quo mm-hmm. then I would say oh you know what would be nice is actually luthiers talk among luthiers musicians talk among musicians and what if we actually started a group where you have a musician, you have a luthier you have a, a music producer and then you have a dialogue from di- yeah I would say well let's have that conversation but not in pocketed area Mm So, mm-hmm. I think that's where I would like to see it. It's like great, it's good intention. Now, how to make it effective so we, it's not just in pockets.
0: Right. Because it's not, you know, the conversation is somewhat similar. So, it makes sense that you would have it kind of cross discipline, mm. I guess. I don't know, that's not the right word, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, um, yeah totally. Yeah. People talking to people about it instead of just like little conversations here and there, make it more like systemic. Mm. That's great. All right. So uh, last question for you. Uh, what are you excited about working on right now? Like what else is coming up for you? You talked about your students have their final presentation. What else is happening? Uh, I know it's yeah. pandemic, so it's yeah. hard to say. But. It's
1: hard to say, but it's good to also, uh, you know, start. I mean, the vaccine is approaching. We start to yeah. see a bit the dust uh, saddles. say so we're able to like, you know, project future plans again. Uh, even if it's not immediate. As far as immediate, I'm working on a flamenco guitar. That's called cool. San Francisco with a, a new silhouette, but still the same cubic volume. So a redistribution of the, the overall shape, uh, the bass pass rail. I'm working on a new uh, slide that can be uh, used for like side guitar, but also on tabletop ones in you know, the mm. guitar. So it's the same tool that actually works for both. Oh, cool. Uh, more of the mushroom guitars, and this time not the uk size. Do you, you know. do
0: you machine the the pass rails, or how does that, or are you doing the design, and then that's getting sent out, or how uh, do you so, do that? Uh,
1: everything is done by hand, and everything is done yeah. right here in Rhode Island. So I use lost wax with a local foundry in Johnston. Good, or like Rhode Island family-owned uh, jewelry makers. <laughs> like <laughs> for those who don't know, like jewelry making is huge in the Rhode Island for like quite a long time. Uh, So I get it cast locally. All the packaging I'm using, uh, I get it in Pawtucket at Lorraine's Fabric. That's local. And before I polish them to get them cleaned, I'm using a vapor blast uh, service that's also across the streets in in Pawtucket. And uh, so everything about Passerelle is Rhode Island made. Wow, that's amazing. So I like that because if there's a problem, I'm, I'm five minutes drive from any of the <laughs> the issue. Yes, like, I will come to you. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you live. Better get this right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what else is immediate? The uh, Oh yeah, the banjo uh, with the kombucha leather. I did a small Turkish banjo this summer to test because they tend to be smaller. But I mm-hmm. grew a giant SCOBY. Oh my God. Thank God I didn't <laughs> because it smells <laughs> inside the house. And that one is ready in the next two weeks. Cool. Oh, maybe music, maybe music wise, I talked about what I'm up to. Oh, yeah. Guitar wise, but music wise, I, I haven't mentioned. So yeah, after playing in like many bands, uh, I, I kind of stopped because I, my schedule was not friendly enough for, with rehearsals. So I started to play solo, but then the pandemic happened. And then I stopped and I was not missing it. Like, Mm. you know, I don't miss waiting at 3 a.m. in a (laughs) Northeastern cold to wait to get paid while I'm unloading and lost a glove. I don't miss that, but I do miss like the exhilaration of soundcheck. But a friend reached out and said, hey, um, let's use the Zoom delay in some way that actually we make it work for playing music instead of going against and say, Let's do some jazz improv over Zoom wow. and see. Like, are you sure? Okay. And it turned out actually not too bad. So, uh, give it another shot and another shot. And now we play every Sunday. It a uh, Alan Sandan oh. and uh, Azure Carter and in Portland, a saxophone player. It's funny because it's it's a type of music I usually don't play. Mm-hmm. I've played new medieval music, folk music. I've played some. I mean everything but jazz and to so actually like <laughs> it's that's your that's your
0: band name actually is everything but jazz <laughs> uh
1: so it, it's been really interesting to actually yeah edward schneider oh, yeah, that's the name uh so that's been new and uh i yeah i approached the bass differently than i usually do and it's mm-hmm. much harder and actually i like it <laughs> That's oh, no good. it's good. It's nice to have a challenge sometimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so, and I also just, you know, I feel like a lot of folks know that you, or like if they look you up, they'll see that you did this thing with uh, Anthony Bourdain. But I'm not going to belabor that, even though it is very cool. It was pretty, <laughs> but funny. I also I feel like you've talked about that in other places. <laughs> so I was like, someone can look that up. Mm-hmm. But there's a cool video on your website about that uh, as well, which mm-hmm. they should check out. All right. So how can listeners stay in contact with you or hear more from you then?
1: Uh, the easiest are uh, email or message on social media. I'm more mm. active on Instagram uh, than Facebook. So a direct message there is more than welcome or directly at Rochelle at I was kind of long to type, but uh, <laughs> you just find it on my website in one click. There you go. So, <laughs> so easy. Yeah. Emails or direct messaging on Instagram are the two best ways. Awesome. All right.
0: Well, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I was actually really invigorated by Rochelle and I's conversation, both like when it happened and then again as I've been listening back. There's just, she has so many new ways of thinking about things, uh, new perspectives, and I've just, it's kind of just been percolating in my brain ever since. So definitely check out the show notes to follow her on social media, learn more about all of her cool ideas, check out her weird honeycomb guitar, all of these things. Uh, (laughs) All right. So as a luthier, Rochelle obviously has a particular perspective on the ways that the industry works. And my partner is a boutique bicycle builder. I think I've mentioned this before. So he is a custom bicycle builder, a one person shop making like bespoke quote unquote bicycles out of a shed in our backyard, basically, working one on one with customers to, you know, bring them the thing that they want. And obviously there are some parameters to that. It's not anything, but you know the the same thing as with with custom guitar makers, where you're you have one customer who you are working with to make one item. And I think about this a lot when thinking and following uh, custom guitar makers and other builders in the industry. And you know I think about the parallels and similarities of that work across those industries. It's just fascinating to me. And you know most of the conversations that we have here are around making change you know, kind of in larger companies, like, I mean, not really large usually, but like it might be 10 people or, you know, it could be a full corporation, but usually not one or two people. So I want to take a, a moment to focus on what an independent luthier or a small, like one to two person shop can do to make change in the spaces they inhabit and like in the industry as a whole. So if that's you, here are seven things that that a small shop can do. So first of all, your product. The great thing about building custom items is that they are custom, right? So you can make sure that the item fits the needs of your particular customer, which is great. But when creating a baseline for your product, so like what does your general product look like, it's important to make sure that the baseline is as inclusive as possible. So what are the wants and needs of BIPOC folks and cis women, trans non-binary folks? And if you're not sure, ask them, give them a survey. Uh, paid focus group. There are lots of ways to find out this information. Phone a friend, right? Uh, If you're able to do so, it's also great to have a few more affordable and perhaps like less customized uh, options as well. So, you know, thinking about ways that you can do that. And then obviously, lastly, making sure that your products aren't using gender, racial or other stereotypes in their names or imagery. I say obviously, apparently not so obvious, but wanted to mention that. All right. So next, your marketing. Number two, if you are a one-person shop, your marketing probably leans into social media pretty heavily. That's pretty standard, and that is great because there are lots of ways that you can use it. So you can support BIPOC, uh, cis women, trans, non-binary builders either by commenting on their pages or sharing their work. You can take a minute to mention these folks when you're featured when uh, you are featured in magazines, podcasts or other media as well. If you're on a panel, like thinking about, you know, does everyone look like you on this panel? If they do, then maybe talking to the organizer, asking someone else to join, or like saying like, I will join if someone else uh, joins that doesn't look like me. So, you know, when you're selecting folks as artists to promote your item, your gear, your uh, guitar, whatever it might be, whether they receive a free or a discounted guitar, you can reach out to folks from oppressed communities first. And once again, with all of your marketing, make sure it's free from stereotypes in language or imagery. I'm probably just gonna say that over and over again. All right, so number three, your learning. So you know a lot. You have been doing this work for a while probably, and you can benefit others by sharing what you know in obviously a humble and non-splainy way, of course. (laughs) An obvious way to share learning is by bringing on an apprentice, preferably paid of course, especially someone from a traditionally oppressed group. Um, And I have another note about this in just a minute, but, and if you don't have capacity to bring on an apprentice, which I know not everyone does, being clear in social media that you are open to answer questions is definitely a good start, right? You could also share videos or quick tips on social media or on your website. And eventually, nice thing about that is once you have enough content, you could even create an online course, which could be much less expensive than say like attending a school. All right, four professional development. Even though you know a lot, you probably still have a lot to learn, right? We all do. So take time to invest in yourself and in the industry by learning more about anti oppression work, racial justice, gender equity, liberation, etc. Could be a book, read, read a book, watch a documentary, listen to a podcast, take an online course, have a discussion group with other people, just like dig in where you can, right? We're all learning and it's important to normalize it. And if you're going to be taking on an apprentice, this is especially important because you don't want to be the one who someone looks to for support and mentorship only to experience daily like microaggressions or other harmful behaviors in the process. So here we go. Number five, your partners. You might not be planning to hire anyone because you're a tiny shop and maybe you don't want to get bigger, but who you do hire or contract with or purchase from for everything from like small jobs to a website to an accountant uh, these are places where you can try to hire folks from oppressed groups or work with folks from oppressed groups when you can, and if you're partnering with other builders, think about who's at the table there as well. All right, six, your customers. If you have a BIPOC and or like a cis woman, trans or non-binary customer, the professional development you have engaged when he, in here is obviously going to be useful in your interactions, right? Because you know what's happening, <laughs> and you're hopefully less likely to be jerky or doing something unintentionally weird. So give them space, these customers, space to make some decisions on their own. Ask what they need, right? Don't make assumptions about their interests or what they know or don't know. Your marketing and online presence will also probably attract folks from those groups who might choose to work with you because they perceive or believe that, you know, they're gonna have a better experience with you than another builder, right? So they're, they're, they're seeking you out for a reason. Obviously, boutique gear is generally only accessible to folks who can afford it, and that's an issue. This is where having a less expensive model or line can be useful. So providing like flexible payment programs, discounts or sliding scale or bartering can also be a way to make things happen. So maybe make parts that are more affordable or you could even have some cool merch. There's like lots of different ways that people can connect with you, even if you might not otherwise Um, have something that would be affordable for them in your more traditional offerings. All right, last one, your money. I know intimately that money can be a real slog for a small shop like this. And it's it's wild that like so many luthiers and other builders might not even be making enough money to afford the items that they themselves are selling, right? Not everybody can afford a $2,500 guitar if they are a builder. So that's just how it works. You're not making things on a large scale and it can be hard to keep your head above water let alone take time to do all the work that's previously that i discussed so if you're listening to this far i give you some kudos so that's that's great thanks for for paying attention given that and people's different financial situations here are some ideas for using your money or time to support causes that can make change so first you can donate money if you can, that's great always. Even a small amount like $5 a month can help a grassroots organization. And you know, $5 a month usually isn't gonna hurt quite as much as maybe $60 would at one time. Another option would be to raffle off some items. It could be some parts or um, even a simple build and donate the proceeds. And that will make your work go much further, right? Because you're probably gonna bring in more money than you would if you just donated something on its own. If you can't do that, You can donate parts or gear or something else to a local organization who can use it. And you can also donate your time to do repairs or teach others. So, wherever you are in your efforts to make change, just get started, just move. (laughs) That's the important thing, right? Pick one of the things that I just mentioned, make a commitment to it, and then think about how you might be able to do another one after that. Uh, Think about what your values might be, what you wanna see for yourself, for your company, for your the industry, for the world, and align your work with it, right? You're a small, and this does require systemic change, but even as a small company, you can make an impact and influence others in the industry. Okay, if you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with a buddy or rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. It will mean that more people will get to hear it, which is rad, so thank you. And thank you so much for listening. Come <laughs> on.